please turn your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 23 through 31 today. Mark 10, 23 through 31. The passage that we studied today is a continuation from our story last week. If you'll recall, a man came to Jesus to ask what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him to obey the commandments, which the man assures him he has done. And Jesus then looks at him in love and tells the man to give away all he owns to the poor so that he can follow him. The last sentence reads, when the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. Today we read the second part of that story. Because we don't hear about this man again, it's up to us to think about what might have happened. In this way, it's actually almost a parable. And since Jesus gives a clarifying teaching afterwards, it feels that way even more. The man goes away grieving, maybe angry with the Lord, disappointed in himself. Maybe we think he didn't have a second thought about it, going home to live in his relative comfort, writing Jesus off as a radical or a lunatic. Or maybe this is a person who's in process. He received bad news he didn't want to hear. Clearly it caught him off guard. He's standing before the Lord vulnerable. The Lord zeroes in on what is most difficult in his life. He's thinking about losing what he has held dear. Maybe he went away for a bit, considered what Jesus said, and then came back. We don't know. I don't know how you read the end of the story. It's a good lunchtime uh, fodder for discussion. But we wonder about verse 22. Is he sad because he has to say goodbye to his possessions? Or is he sad because he won't give them up and now thinks he will not have eternal life? The context points to the latter, because the passage that we read today, Jesus is lamenting how difficult it is for rich people to get into heaven. So whatever we think may have happened to the man, we know it's not the end of his story, and that Jesus continues to pursue those who turn away. Regardless of what happens to the man, Jesus uses his leaving as an illustration to teach a warning. As the questioning man departs, Jesus says how difficult it is for rich people to inherit what God has for them, but affirms that nothing is impossible with God, who will reward those who follow him. And in his teaching, Jesus redefines the meaning of three ideas that we live out every day. As we reflect on his words, we want to ask the Lord if our lives are aligned with how he views these important facets of humanity, wealth, power, and position. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 10, 23 through 31. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? 
Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Father, we pray now that you would speak to us. Lord, may we be vulnerable to you. Amen. The first idea that Jesus redefines here is wealth. In our minds, we see the man leaving as Jesus is exclaiming, how God's kingdom and a love of worldly wealth are opposite goals. In the Gospels, Jesus teaches a lot about money. He emphasizes that we shouldn't worry about it. We should depend on God for what we daily receive. He says we shouldn't hoard what we have. We should build it up to give it away, especially to the poor. He has stories about how fleeting life is and how we shouldn't spend our energies on accumulating all we can here. We don't know, he says, when our last day will be. By living as he did, he modeled simplicity, good stewardship, a trust in the Father. And his teachings show how what we own might prevent us from surrendering to God because we cling to what we cherish. And if we love our possessions more than God, it will corrode our souls. Jesus uses a fabulous word picture here to illustrate his point. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to submit to God's will. Think about this. One of the biggest animals they know in their context going through one of the smallest openings they know. Jesus is saying it is impossible. Now, some of us here might disagree with Jesus on this. We might be thinking, I could do it. I would do it. If I inherited a gazillion dollars or I made that much from one of my brilliant ideas that someone hasn't paid me for yet, I would still depend on God as much as I do today. It wouldn't change me. I would give so much away. I would never compromise my faith. We think we're so strong, don't we? We think in a vacuum. We make comments and promises about how we would never do this or how we would always do this, which is easy to do when we're far from that reality. But having the very conversation itself (laughs) reveals how our heart longs for more. Why would we even have that conversation, right? About having a gazillion dollars. See, the question is actually more, what is our relationship with money today? What do we do with our money now? It can be the most important thing in our lives. Whether we're rich or whether we're poor, it doesn't matter. We can talk about it. We can worry about it. We can worry about our investments and all of the things around it. 
What is our relationship with money and God right now? Notice what Jesus is redefining here. You see, the disciples are surprised by his words because in their context, prosperity was proof that God was blessing them. Having wealth meant that you had a strength of character and you were a person that God favored. And so the disciples are confused because of these people who seemingly have it all together can't get to heaven, who can And Jesus is saying, yeah, they have everything, but that's a barrier. That's actually a barrier for knowing me. So let's talk about why that is. Why is money such a barrier for us in our lives? Well, let me give you a few of my thoughts, and then you can add a few more of your thoughts as you're discussing whatever at lunch today. We have an intrinsic need for gain. And we always are looking at those around us and wondering why we can't have what they have. And when we do that, what we have can become what we treasure. And our hearts can become focused on keeping it safe, making it hard for us to think about leaving it, parting to go to someplace else like heaven that seems so esoteric. If we put our confidence in what we own, then it can make us discontent, thinking that we need more to be happy. When we think our money belongs to us and it's something that we have made and we have done, it can make us to be proud. We can put our confidence in it. It can cause us to be selfish with it. No matter how much we have, sometimes it feels like it doesn't seem like enough that puts our focus then on more instead of being grateful. Lord, make me grateful in this day that you have made for what you have given to me. A love of money traps us in fear and puts us in a place of focusing on ourselves because it was never meant to fill us. We are among the richest in the world. I know we don't feel that way in Santa Barbara very often, but truly by the world standards, we really are And so these words of Jesus are for all of us to consider. Are we putting our trust in what we have? Are we insecure about what we have? Are we worried about it? Do we love it more than we love the Lord? This is a teaching about letting go what would possess us here so that we can be better disciples, better followers. We may think we own something, but if we are not careful, it ends up owning us. Secondly, we see how Jesus redefines the meaning of power. When he tells them how uh, much easier it would be for that camel to go through the eye of the needle, the disciples are astounded, maybe even panicked, worried about how they're going to go into the kingdom. Jesus says, yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to save yourselves, but the Lord can do anything. As we read this, I was trying to picture Jesus in his simple garb explaining power of God as an ordinary man. He did not come with great might. He didn't show his power very much. He did sometimes. But think about what he is trying to communicate here. He's going from a warning to a promise. He's trying to communicate a lot with this word power. We've sung about power this morning. We've read about power. People have stood up this morning and talked about power. You see, when God's involved, mountains can get moved. Yokes will be broken. True peace can happen. Reconciliation 
is possible. There are new mercies every morning. The Lord fights for those who trust him. He helps us with his righteous right hand. There is freedom for those who have been held captive. Death no longer has a final say. Jesus may have looked ordinary, but the power that he brought to the world was going to change their lives forever. What is most helpful about this teaching is how it puts the power for salvation where it should be, which is in the hands of God. Our greatest power actually lies in trusting the mighty God we have, not ourselves. And what he's chosen to do with his power is incredible when you think about all of the power that exists in our world today and what people do with their power. What Jesus chose to do with his power is to save us, a broken and sinful people, because we didn't have the capacity to save ourselves. It is a gift before we needed it, regardless of how much we own or how good we are or who we are. The best news is that even the most improbable souls can be saved. So in one breath, Jesus takes the disciples from hopelessness to God's grace, which is unshakable. So where do you see God's power in your life right now? Where do you need God's power? Where do you feel helpless and hopeless? Where have you seen God's power at work? People have stood today and said, I saw God's power in this circumstance, in this person. This week at Senior Lunch, we talked about how important it is every day to do an examine of our heart. To stop and to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, here are ways that I messed up today. Here are ways that I didn't love. But Lord, here are ways that I saw you. It's so important that we stop and we say thank you to the Lord. And we acknowledge this thing that happened wasn't a coincidence. This thing that happened wasn't random. Allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. And to flood your soul and to say, that was me. And because you know that was me, that thing that you feel hopeless about, you can know I'm already handling that. I'm already taking care of that for you. Because I love you. And I know that this is hard. Don't give away your power to something else that doesn't have any power. Money doesn't have any power. Except what we give it. And so give your trust to the one who is powerful over all. Lastly, Jesus redefines the meaning of position. In verse 28, we hear Peter begin to tell Jesus how those who are still there have left everything to follow him. I think Peter here is comparing them to the man who went away, reminding Jesus of what they gave up. Hey, Jesus, that guy couldn't do it, but we did. Look, we're still here. We can't hear the inflection in his voice, but it seems that maybe he's wondering what they might get in return because that's what Jesus talks about next. What about us, Lord? Have we done enough to have eternal life? 
Jesus brings reassurance to their hearts by saying that those who give up anything for his sake, for the good news, will receive back in abundance what they have lost. And when we read what Jesus says about mothers and brothers and positions and fields, possessions and fields, it sounds like the church. When we follow Jesus, we have a family. For those in every culture whose family members have denounced them, this is precious. When we follow Jesus, we go through life together. For those who've given up income or worldly goods when they surrendered their life, there are those who will share what they have. You see, we create space in our hearts and our homes for one another. We eat at the same table. We go out and we serve the Lord with the same spirit. We seek the Lord together for wisdom and strength. We worship him together. This is the body of Christ. But notice what else it says. Those who become disciples of the Lord will also face persecution. You almost miss it when you read it. It's couched between fields and eternal life. A bit of reality and a bunch of goodness. The way of Jesus is the way of suffering. It is dying to self. We should expect to be opposed by those who don't believe, those who are adamantly against our God. This is why Christianity is not something that we simply believe. It must be that we give our whole self to Jesus because nothing else makes sense. Verse 31 is familiar to us. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Sometimes we jokingly use this when our table is chosen last at the buffet line at Thanksgiving. It's okay, we say. Go enjoy your turkey first, because we'll be first later. But Jesus here is changing the direction of the conversation once again. Those who have everything now in this world who do not trust God will not find the kingdom. Last here doesn't mean last in line. It actually means exclusion. Because there are those who have everything they need here. And they have a harder time of making it to heaven if they hold on. Being rich doesn't exclude them. Their heart does. So likewise, those who are last in society here, but trust in God, will gain entrance to the kingdom. It doesn't mean they're more important. It doesn't mean that they get to go to the first of the line. It means that they're honored alongside those who put their trust in God. So what do we take away from these words of Jesus today? This is a good teaching. Do his definitions of wealth and power and position match yours? You see, our story also is not finished. So where are we in the process about having our character formed by these facets of life that we participate in every day? What does the Lord say to you? Do you need to hear the warning about the pull of wealth? Is the love of money dragging you down? Do you need to remember how God's power is triumphant over anything else in your life? Anything that seems to have so much control? Do you need to be affirmed where God has placed you and in the life to come? You see, like the rich man, like the disciples, we want to receive the inheritance that comes from being in God's family. So as we embrace being his sons and his daughters, 
his life will naturally be ours. Let's take a few moments in silence. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.